Welcome to Phoenix and Flame, pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. This podcast is not intended for use as psychotherapy. If you feel you are in crisis, please call 911 or contact your local crisis hotline. Welcome to Phoenix and Flame. I'm Dana, and this is my podcast on pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. Well, we have a wonderful guest with us today. Her name is Harmony. I love that name, by the way. Harmony Quiker. Now, I'm going to spell this. It's K-W-I-K-E-R, Quiker. And she is a psychotherapist, an author, and a professor at Naropa University, where she teaches transpersonal counseling. She is also the founder of the Institute for Spiritual Alignment, where she trains practitioners to bridge the divide between traditional and spiritual transformation. In her first book, Reveal, Embody the True Self Beyond Trauma and Conditioning, Harmony does what most experts rarely do. She vulnerably shares her story of transformation while simultaneously empowering readers to discover their truest selves. Her new book, Align, Living and Loving from the True Self, will be available December 2022. Harmony, welcome to Phoenix and Flame. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It sounds like you have accomplished a whole lot and that you have been through some pretty challenging things and faced them and experienced those things and were able to come out the other side, which is a lot what Phoenix and Flame is about. It's like, you know, pushing through and transforming, even when you do feel like a pile of ash, just finding that way to keep moving. So, you know, what was going on maybe earlier in your life when you kind of felt things sort of turning sideways and what promoted you, what motivated you to do what you've done? Yeah, I absolutely love the way you say, even when you're feeling like a pile of ash, I think that's just so relatable. So many of us have just found ourselves like feeling like nothing, really, without having like the vitality and life force to really move on with dignity and strength and clarity. You know, in my past, in my in my early development, I was raised by these really wonderful parents. And so it was really confusing to the people around me that I struggled. Um, My dad, sorry, I just noticed I got all nervous. And so I'm just going to be a little loving with myself right now. Good. Awesome. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So my dad is this really amazing um, alternative doctor. And my mom was a healer. She was a breath worker and a teacher and a coach. And so I was raised in this really empowering environment that was really loving but I had an early um, traumatic brain injury where I almost died as an infant. And I had left my body and I, well, just to back up, my dad had put me on the top bunk of a bed at a party while I was sleeping and I woke up, I was five months old and I kind of wriggled to the edge and I fell from the top bunk and I hit my head on the dresser and I landed kind of in a ball and, um, I just didn't want to breathe. It hurt so bad. And then I let out this cry and everybody ran in and their fear like got projected into my system. 
if that makes sense. Yes. And I carry that fear around in me and that dissociative state, you know, from the head trauma throughout my early development um, without having the language to give to it. You know, it was a pre-verbal traumatic injury. And so it was really murky and confusing as to how I was shaped around this incident. In my earliest relationships, what I found that I would do is when I was in pain, when I was interacting with somebody and they did something that caused me harm, like violated me in some way, said something unkind, I very quickly just stayed quiet and conditioned myself to not give voice to my pain, mm-hmm. which really cultivated this enabler codependency strategy to try to find safety. And it seemed to work because people really liked me, right? I was conflict avoidant. I wasn't causing any trouble. I was lauded for being so accommodating and pleasing and um, sort of keeping the peace. And that ultimately led to a lot of really dysfunctional relationships and a lot of pain and harm that I was causing myself by betraying myself. It was when I had children where I really decided to hold myself accountable and seeing their preciousness and their beauty and their innocence really helped me to recognize that I had that inside of me too, that my own preciousness and my own innocence also needed to be cared for. And it was my job to care for that. Listeners, I was telling Harmony before we started that I frequently will take notes while my guests are speaking as as they say things that really uh, spark a thought or a, or a question in myself. And I already have like four things written down just so far in what you've said. And the first thing I want to just throw out there is, is when you, at the very beginning, when you started sharing your story and you start, you said you started feeling kind of vulnerable and you were going to be, you made a choice. You said, I'm going to be loving with myself because you were feeling vulnerable and your anxiety level was rising. And I know this is an audio podcast, so I'm going to describe, you know, Harmony was like, she was taking her hands and putting them on her chest to try to calm herself down. And I want to say that is just amazing and something that I want to make sure that the readers caught that what you were doing, that you were starting and instead of not doing it, you were doing it and you felt that in your body and you chose to be loving with yourself because we can't really rely on other people to provide that comfort. It would be great if they did, but you know, we can always, we're always there for ourselves. You know, when you go look in the mirror, that person looking back at you will never leave you, will never be away from you, is always going to be there for you. And that's the one that we can ourselves to be able to give ourselves love when we're feeling scared or anxious. I just thought that was beautiful. I wanted to make sure that I pointed that out. Thank you for highlighting that. I, I feel really seen by you when you say that. And I love that you're highlighting that for the listeners. I think that being in the practice of listening to the sensations in our body and tending to ourselves is ongoing. Like, I don't want to offer an illusion that I achieved some sort of place in my life and now I never experience fear or pain or sadness. You know, I'm continually developing as I'm experiencing life and how I hold myself in that experience is really what allows 
life to keep moving through me as it wants to. Oh, I, th- I think that's beautiful the way you term that, just allowing life to move through you, because I think that also gets to what you said earlier about learning how not to shut down, because I think there's so many people that they don't know how to manage those feelings. They don't know how to accept what their body is doing for them and what their body is showing them. It's scary. They don't know what it is exactly. So they just shut it down. And like you said, they don't give voice to their pain. And so they're just kind of stuck with it, holding it inside their body. And so I like the way you you term that of just allowing life to flow through. And that's not always comfortable, but we know that if we're comfortable with ourselves and we know that different feelings are going to, are going to be uncomfortable and we can allow that, that we can give voice to that verbally and within our body and, and not be scared that we can allow life to flow through. Yeah. I also just want to add that like even noticing the impulse to either suppress or cling to a sensation rather than allowing it to move, just noticing that impulse and making room for that might be the first layer like really just validating the impulse might be to resist and meeting ourselves there rather than trying to do something else. I really think it's a beautiful practice to, to welcome ourselves at whatever is present within us. Yes, that is precious. I mean, we could really stop the podcast right now, (laughs) but we're not going to, we have so much more to talk about, but that that's beautiful right there. Just, you know, just being present with that and and giving space. Sometimes I'll tell my patients, I said, give your emotions space, you know, create grace and space for whatever is inside of you to come out and have a presence and not be afraid of it. Don't run away from it. Not that it's going to be comfortable all the time, but it's part of you to welcome it in and give it that space. And it's just, it's so much healthier that way. There was a couple other things. I'm going to toss them both out and then I'm going to let you kind of take off however you want to take off from there. So one of them was, I noticed that if I was following your story correctly, that you had memories from when you were five months old. I think that's freaking amazing. I want to talk about that because I think people sometimes maybe they have those memories, but they're pre-verbal, like you said, and they, they're getting triggered, but they don't know, they're confused. What in the world's going on? Why am I feeling this kind of way? And then the other thing was you were talking about when you had children of your own. I hear that a lot, that sometimes when we see our own children kind of maybe possibly at the age we were when we were uh, traumatized in some kind of way, we see it from a totally different angle than when we were experiencing ourselves. So those are the other two things I just wanted to toss out for now. So what are your thoughts on those? Yeah, thank you for circling back to that piece. I was actually thinking it when I said it about, this might seem weird to a listener that I'm speaking about a memory from when I was an infant. And so I think it's important to know that before the age of four, we have what's called implicit memory. So we can't consciously recall it. It lives in the visceral memory of our body and in our deep unconscious. But just because we can't consciously access it, like we can consciously access what we watched yesterday or learned yesterday or listened to yesterday on a podcast, it still lives inside of us and influences us. Because it lives so deeply in the body, it's really through a somatic-based process of listening to the body where we can access the implicit memories. 
And so in my own personal growth journey, I've done many, many various modalities. But as I mentioned before, my mom was a breath worker. And it's still something that I practice monthly because I really believe that the breath holds so much healing energy. And if we just drop into our breath, similar to what you were saying about allowing emotions, the breath is what allows us to create that internal spaciousness that creates the room for the emotions to start, to move through, to discharge and metabolize. I love that. And I want to add something to that really quickly is that I think sometimes when we're feeling we're being triggered, that our bodies, like for example, our hearts will begin to beat faster than normal and that the central nervous system will just kind of start ratcheting up. And so I think the breathing also is so helpful to keep our system calmed down so we can process because we're not going to process trauma as long as we're kicked into fight or flight. The breathing calms it down. The breath is the only part of the autonomic nervous system that we have conscious control over. We can't consciously control our heartbeat or our eye dilation, but we can actually consciously drop into the breath. And so it is our most vital tool in our Mm -hmm. nervous system regulation and our healing. Because it makes us feel more in control. It's something we can do. Right. It's something that we have access to, excuse me, that we can actually do. For me, in breath work, which is a specific type of breath work that I'm not going to go into right now, but what, what would happen is those implicit memories would just appear. And, you know, for me, the story of my fall was always kind of part of my story that my mom would talk about, but I didn't have the memory of it. I, I have the pain that's in my body that I've lived with every day of my life. I have vertigo that I get from, you know, the inner ear that was affected, but I didn't have the actual memory. And it wasn't until I saw in, in a breathing session, the people coming in and projecting their fear into my system that I realized so much of the fear that I had been carrying around actually wasn't mine <clears throat> because I wasn't afraid. I was hurting. I was, you know, I was in tremendous pain. I had lost my breath, but I wasn't scared. I was, that wasn't part of my consciousness yet. You were talking about how the the fear wasn't yours. Kind of makes me wonder how many, how many listeners are are listening to you say that thinking, wow, how much of what I'm feeling really isn't mine. It doesn't belong to me. And that kind of, I'm just bringing that up briefly because that kicks back to a lot of, I do a lot of boundary work. I mentioned that to you earlier. I've known as the queen of boundaries. And a lot of that is how much is mine and how much belongs to somebody else. Yeah. Well, and children in particular don't develop boundaries until Mm. they're fully individuated at the age of seven. So an infant is boundaryless. They don't have a sense of self that is separate from the world around them. Right. And so we're deeply, deeply feeling beings. And so a lot of the conditioned patterns that we learn as we're developing our sense of self in childhood are actually ideas and misbeliefs and emotions that belong to other people and habits that belong to other people. I love that. I love that so much. It's like that, that internalizing, you know, we were a child, we kind of, we land out of the chute whoop, into a scenario and sometimes into a pathology stew, to be honest. And we didn't ask for that. We just kind of came out of, we landed there 
and we're in, we're swimming around this pathology stew and it, it starts out, you know, it's all these, these external people that are treating us a certain kind of way, saying certain kind of things to us. And at first it's like, it's coming toward us, but then right around age seven, eight, we take that and we pull it into ourselves and we say, you know what? I got this. You don't have to tell me I'm stupid anymore. You don't have to tell me I'm this or that anymore. I got it. I'll do it myself. It's like, it's like a baton in a relay race. We grab that baton and we say, I got it. You know, I'll, I'll do it for myself. Now we internalize it, but it didn't start with us. Mm-hmm. that stuff never starts with us. The origin is not us. Absolutely. And that awareness in and of itself can be so healing. Absolutely. I went to your, and by the way, listeners, you've, and we'll tell you later how to, where to go to find all of Harmony's stuff, but you have the acronym ALIGN which I was very fascinated with. I went to the website, did all the little, uh, there's a, like a screener that you can do to see if you're balanced in these areas. I'll have to say I was balanced, but not in the end. <laughs> not in the end part. You got to admit that. So could you share that wonderful acronym and, and that with my listeners? Yeah. So the acronym is ALIGN and it stands for Awareness, Life Urge, integration, groundedness, and the newness. And, you know, my, my second book that's coming out is titled Align, Living and Loving from the True Self. And I, I just had this moment of realizing that, that this potent, powerful word can actually illustrate the concepts that we can bring attention to in service of our own alignment. I really believe that awareness is the first step. We can't actively Mm -hmm. change or heal or transform that which we're unaware of. Preach. (laughs) (laughs) The the problem, however, is that a lot of people think they're aware, but they aren't actually looking at their blind spots. And our blind Mm. spots are really hard to find because they're in our, you know, they're in our shadow. We actually can't see them. We need a clear reflection of a really skilled clinician or, <clears throat> excuse me, a dear friend who can actually see us clearly and isn't projecting onto us in order to see what is beneath, you know, our, our level of, of awareness and our state of development as we are. So I believe that awareness is ongoing. It's you know, the mind's awareness of itself, our awareness of our inner mind-body process, so how we feel as we are thinking or talking about something, and our awareness of our essence, that place in us that is untouched by what the world has taught us about ourselves. I love this. I, lo- I want to throw in a-, a comment here before we go on with the rest of them is that what I'm hearing you say, and I absolutely rah-rah cheering you on with this, is that something I preach so much is not judging. Because I'll have patients that will come in and I'm like, you know that I'm never going to judge you, but the bigger ask is I'm going to ask you to try not to judge yourself. I said, I'm going to ask you to observe. You need to observe your behavior, to observe your feelings, observe your thoughts, so then we can do something with it. But if you're all judgy, and you're all about this is right or wrong, good or bad, all that kind of mess, 
then you're going to, I call it taking a shame shower. I said, you're going to jump in the shame shower and you're not going to really be able to, to be open and aware because there's too much hiding. And I, I'd like to add to that, that when we think that we ought to be different than we are, or when we're judging ourselves for the way that we actually are, we aren't present. Mm. Right? We're, we're resisting presence. I like that. So even if we can welcome the judgment, like I was saying before about welcoming the resistance or welcoming the gripping and clinging, if we can just start by welcoming the judgment and becoming aware of that, like that's the first level of where awareness can come to. And then we can deepen from there. We can soften into ourselves from there. I like that. So like, why is the judgment there to begin with? And what does that serve possibly? Yeah, and maybe even validate it for ourselves. Like, it makes sense to me that you're judging yourself right now, saying to ourselves, you know, just being really kind and loving. Awesome. I like that because it's a, more of a, a leaning into it versus avoiding. And whether it's we're judging ourselves or we're aware of someone else judging us, it's that leaning into and acceptance of that and not trying to run away from or avoid. Yeah, and so the L in a line is standing for life force. And I've chosen this. It really comes from all of the training that I've done in breath work also, where, where we talk about our life urge. All of us have both a life urge and a death urge inside of us. And when we are in our condition patterns or in our self-judgment or self-loathing or resentment and blame, we're typically in behaviors that are more towards the death or the lower vibration of our frequency is another way of saying it. And, you know, like I think about it with myself where I would quiet my voice, where I wouldn't speak to what was happening for mm-hmm. me when I was in pain and I was mentioning before. To me, that's an expression of my death urge. That's me mm-hmm. like killing parts of myself and keeping myself small and in a box or a cage so nobody can really see me. And it takes a lot of inner strength and will and power to fully come into our life urge. So there's like relational pieces of our life urge as, as aside from like eating well and exercising. There's also like speaking up for ourselves and tending to our heart and caring for the space that we live in. Like these are all expressions of our life urge. I believe that when we get our life urge just like to 51%, when our death urge is at 49%, like just a little bit higher, we can start making more movement in that direction so that life can fully be moving through us as it wants to without us containing or distorting or gripping or resisting any part of ourselves. I like that. And it's like there's hope because somebody might think, well, my life urge has to be at 75% before I can do anything. And you're saying, no, just 51, just a little bit more than the death urge. Yeah. Because somebody might feel like that's that's a little more attainable, you know. <laughs> yeah, just, just like even one little movement each day, like that's something that is really in service of you coming more into your power and your dignity and your bigness. I love this, your bigness, and that the death urges is like killing parts of yourself off. And that's, you know, getting to a point where you're not wanting to do that and more interested in in life. I realized this in my first marriage, which actually gets to something that you had said about when I saw my children that I never answered before. But I realized that in order for me to stay in the context of that marriage, I needed to kill parts of myself to fit into that container, 
me being fully in my bigness and in my truth and who I was could not exist in the context of that relationship. And so I needed to leave for my life. Yeah. And so wow. a big part of that was seeing my children and wanting them. I had made a commitment to my daughter when she was born. She was an infant. She's probably five months old. It was probably very much like my, my healing moment. I was walking her and she was in her stroller and I made her promise that she was going to see a mother who, who lived her purpose, who was in her bigness and her truth. And it took me, you know, five, five more years to get there, but that's what she sees now. So. Oh, wow. I love that so much. And I know there's going to be listeners out there that are feeling small and boxed in and that they're having to kill parts of themselves off every day to stay in the current relationship. And so this is going to be so powerful for them to just be thinking about just contemplating what it might be like to live in your bigness, to be exactly who you are and, and to be in a relationship with someone where you, you can spread your wings out wide and not have to feel like you have to curl in because of someone else's issues. Absolutely. Yes. I, I want to add to that, that, that when we are in our bigness, everyone around us feels uplifted. So it's mm -hmm. not that we're big and we make other people small. When we are in our true power and our true bigness, everyone around us feels bigger because of our presence. That's awesome. Oh my gosh, this is so wonderful. The I is for integration. And this is a really big piece of Gestalt therapy, which is what I teach at Naropa and um, at my training institute in part. Integration is really where, in this practice of welcoming everything inside of us and not resisting any part of us, we're welcoming it back into the whole. So, for example, if I have a wound of not enoughness, I don't want to cast that out and overcome it and have it leave forever. I want to shift my relationship to it so that it's welcome in as part of my whole without being hyper-identified with it, without looking at the world through this lens of not enoughness, but rather I shift my relationship to it and I integrate it back into the wholeness of my being. I love that. And what I'm thinking about as you're talking is, do you think that helps us to be empathetic since we're, since we're keeping that part of ourselves and we're not pushing it away when we see that part of ourselves reflected in someone else? Mm -hmm. Do you think that helps us to be more empathetic because we can see a piece of them in us or piece of us in them? Absolutely. And we treat other people as we treat ourselves. So when we're kind to ourselves and welcoming of ourselves, instead of being activated by somebody who is embodying the part of us that we don't like, which is usually what happens in relationships, we're being kind to ourselves and more compassionate with others. Yeah. This is wonderful. So the G was for groundness. Groundness. Groundedness. Groundedness. And this was my way of, of finding a way to presence the idea of being embodied, of really having our healing and our growth and our spiritual practices and devotion be in service of actually a lived experience in this life, not something that's like out there that we do once a week or alone in our room on our meditation cushion, but in real life, bringing this into our body and into our relationships down to the core of the earth so that we are fully here. Fully here. And I'd like to, I'd like to get your thoughts on 
possibly how you see that groundedness as opposed to how we become dissociated when we're like overwhelmed and, and we can't handle. So we start kind of dissociating. So what are your thoughts on, on that? Yeah. Disassociation is a really natural um, response to trauma and stress that is chronic and really intense. And I actually believe that in states of disassociation or numbness or kind of like, you know, leaving our body and checking out, if we can shine the light of awareness on what numb feels like, what disassociation feels like, we can slowly make our way back into our body and meet ourselves where we're at. So that then becomes the entry point to becoming, to coming back into our body. Right. It's, there's a wisdom to the nervous system. We are designed this way for a reason. It's not mm-hmm. a flaw of who we are. It's the brilliance of who we are. Right? Yes, it's a yes. mechanism. And so I believe that it's a practice that this happens over time, that we come into our body, we meet ourselves where we're at. Maybe we come to you know, a level that isn't all the way down in our belly or our root, you know, or kind of maybe up here, more up in our throat or our head, but we're, we're dropping in deeply, more deeply over time. You know, I've had clients that I've worked with for over a decade that I see that they, they come into their body over time. Sometimes they, they reach that really embodied place and then something happens in life that triggers that old wound or activates something and the old pattern comes back. They're able to come back to themselves more quickly, but you know, it's just about meeting ourselves where we're at. That's fantastic. And you, you give a lot of uh, visualizations that, that I like because I'm a very visual person. So I was wondering if you have a favorite visualization or something that is a favorite of your patients or your students or whichever in terms of when they are disassociating, is there a favorite visual for them to be able to slowly come back into their bodies and have that groundedness? Yeah, for me, it's more of an invitation than it is an actual visual. It's really about closing your eyes and and notice and contacting yourself where you are, and really feeling the sensations in your body. I have some practices that I do. One is a, a polyvagal massage. So the vagus nerve, as I'm imagining you know, moves from the top of our head down the sides of our ears down the sides of our neck towards our sternum, so our heart center, and then down to our belly. And it keeps going. But I have people actually just bring their fingertips. You can, listeners can do this now if you'd like. You can bring your fingertips to the top of your head and just take a breath. And as you exhale, just really slowly bring the fingertips down the sides of your head, down the sides of your ears, and just keep breathing and take a nice exhale down the sides of your neck and then towards your sternum and landing at your belly. Wow. That really does make a difference. Mm -hmm. I've never really done exactly like that before. And listeners, I've got the, the benefit of being able to watch Harmony do this and, but we're just like, she described it so well, just, yeah, just starting at the top of your head and just kind of slowly with the breathing coming down like you said, what on your ears and the sides of your neck and coming down yeah, the front. I, 
I have a YouTube video with this that I can send you the link to. Yeah. Um, I find it to be so soothing and so regulating very quickly. I'll often open my classes with this to help us all just kind of regulate and stay grounded and in our body as we come together. I like that. That felt really good. It's kind of hard to to be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, excited comes to mind, but that's a positive. I'm thinking more of a agitated. It's kind of hard to, to feel agitated when you're doing that because it just calms everything down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Ooh. like molasses just like dripping down. Your it head. is. Yeah. It's it, it's almost like I remember there's some kind of little um, game. Well, it's not really, it's just kind of a fun little exercise that I've seen kids do where they'll knock on the top of your head and they'll they'll act like an egg has broken and they'll run their fingers down your, it sort of starts like that where you kind of feel it's coming down. That's nice. It reminds me of that too. <laughs> I love that reference. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm sure some of the listeners are like, yeah, the adult version of the egg cracking on your head, except you bring it all the way down. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, Lord. Now, the last one, the newness, that was when I kind of got stepped up on because all of these, from what I'm gathering, you're, you're talking about balance, having that, that balance with these and that that newness was something that I felt like sometimes I, I get going a little bit too mock two with my hair on fire and I kind of get stubbed up on that. So in my first book, my final chapter, I titled it Emergent Being, which really gets to this idea that we are constantly emerging anew. When we try to force a form on, on ourselves that we should look a certain way or achieve something in a certain way, we're actually keeping ourselves in a newly constructed prison (laughs) rather than being in the emergence of of what truly wants to come through us. So in Gestalt, we talk a lot about a homeostasis, which a client comes in and they're in a fixed pattern. It's like an internal rigidity that they've created in an attempt to try to create stability in their environment. And so we are working to disrupt homeostasis so that there can be more natural movement, so that the client can come into their natural state rather than this fixed state. Mm. And once we do, we call this the fertile void. We're in this newness of like, well, now what do I do if I'm not doing these condition <laughs> patterns? <laughs> if I'm not like quieting myself and being accommodating, well, then what, you know? And that's the great discovery of being alive and being truly sovereign and free and self-responsible we get mm-hmm. to discover that for ourselves. There's no script. Oh, wow. I love that. The the fertile, but what do I do now? Because I'm, I've realized what I was doing before wasn't really particularly helpful, possibly pathological, but what do I do in an odd sort of way? And this may not be a good analogy. You can tell me if you think it is or it isn't. Either way, that's okay. <laughs> you know, but... In March, there's a, a, a group that started like rebranding me for things I'm going to be offering later on. And I told one of them during this process, and if anybody has not been through a rebranding process, it is, oh my gosh, you get sucked into some kind of machine. To me, it feels like I was this little puzzle and I had all my pieces in place and they took my little puzzle and they dismantled the whole thing and they spread it all out to make this bigger puzzle, except now I don't know 
what all the pieces, there's all these empty spaces where pieces are supposed to go because I didn't have enough pieces now because now the puzzle's bigger, but it's bigger. I have to accommodate more pieces that are brand new that I don't know what they are. And that I'm, I'm saying that was, is rather uncomfortable. <laughs> well, I would reframe it if I may. To me, it sounds like you were offered the gift of creation. There was more space to create. Mm-hmm. something more than what was there before. And yes. I believe that that really does relate to this, is that we're at choice and we're in creation rather than in stagnancy. See, see, I needed, I needed you in my ear to, to be able to spin this, to see it in a positive way. I, I've been so whiny about everything. <laughs> Just, no, no, Dana, look at this as a creative thing. You're being, you're given permission to create. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that. Oh my gosh. Okay. So Harmony, I'm thinking, is there anything left? Because I'm looking at my notes here. Is there anything left that we haven't talked about that you really wanted to make sure that you had time to, to kind of get across to the listeners of Phoenix and Flame? Yeah. I, what I'd love to say is that um, this is your life and you get to live it on your terms. And wherever you're at in this moment is really the perfect place to begin, cultivating a life that is in full alignment with who you are. I believe it's not about what we do or say, but about the place within us from which we do that or say that. And Mm -hmm. so the journey of coming home to ourselves is this really sacred ongoing practice of being aware when we leave ourselves and then deciding how we want to come back and being a choice around that. I love that. That is beautiful. And it just, it just gives people permission, you know, wherever you are, that's okay. And find your way back and create your own space. It's up to you. It's not up to someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So I want to make sure that I give my listeners everything they need to get to your information. Cause I know now I've got the, there was an alignment quiz at uh, the spiritually aligned.com. Is that where you would prefer they go? Or is there another site that you would like for them to visit as well? Yeah, no, that is my, my newest main site. Yeah. The spiritually There's an alignment quiz. And if you're a clinician and you're listening to this, you can navigate to become a coach and there's actually a free training on how to access your intuition in the therapy room. Wow, that's awesome. Okay, so I, for those of you who might be out walking or jogging uh, and listening to this and you're thinking, I don't have anything to write with, no worries. I'm going to put all of this in the show notes. And I want to say again, Harmony's first book is Reveal, embody the true self beyond trauma and conditioning. And then her new one that is going to be coming out December, 2022 says align living and loving from the true self. And I'm sure you would just, those would be great um, Christmas gifts or birthday gifts, or just something you want to give a good friend or someone that's struggling, read it yourself and just pass it on. Harmony, thank you so much for your time and sharing with us all your your wisdom and your experience so that we can benefit from everything you've gone through. 
Thank you so much for having me. I really love the format of the show and being here with you. It's been such an honor and a gift. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Harmony. This is wonderful. So listeners, I'm right now, the website that I have, like I've said before, I'm currently in the I'm in construction, but I'm given the opportunity to be creative. <laughs> so, so my uh, my website is in, in flux. It's going to be changing. I'm also updating social media sites and all that kind of stuff. I definitely am in a construction. I feel like I'm in a construction zone, but it's good. It's a good thing. I've got an opportunity to, to really create a lot of wonderful things. So if you want to go to phoenixandflame.com, that has... All of the uh, podcast episodes there. There's an opportunity to contact me if you need to. Really take this and copy and paste the link to your friends and your families and your coworkers' uh, text, emails. Just go to Apple, go and, and just really put this on your social media sites that you prefer. Get the word out there so other people can hear what Harmony has to say. I thank you so much for giving Phoenix and Flame some of your time today. I hope the rest of your day goes so well. This is Dana on Phoenix and Flame.